when you're creating a creative product, you need to be inspired. You need to have that space. You need to feel good. That's when your best thinking happens. This episode is brought to you by my book, Speak From Within. Learn how you can engage, inspire, and motivate any audience. You can also download my four simple tips to make starting any conversation a breeze at the link in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. Whether you're writing the first sentence of a book or solving the climate crisis to get people's attention, you need to tell your story creatively. On the show, I interview peak performers who are coming up with those creative stories and solutions. Through creativity, compassion, and collaboration, they're changing the world. I also bring you ideas and techniques to unlock your potential to do the same. And now, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm so thrilled to tell you about this week's guest. Oh my stars, she's amazing. Let me tell you about Elizabeth Elfenbein. Elizabeth is a change maker, an award-winning storyteller and creative leader who's passionate about recognizing unmet needs. You can tell she's brilliant already. She's been recognized as an elite disruptor by PM360, creative online all-star by OMMA, and a Sweet 16 brand marketer by MIN Online. I think that's Min. I should have checked. Now Elizabeth is launching Under the Sisterhood. Elizabeth craved sisterhood to share her story and hear the depth and variety of other women's stories. She imagined a space for women of all cultures, ages, and backgrounds to share grieve and celebrate. Under the Sisterhood was born from a vision to honor and hold space for women across the spectrum of our experiences. Wow, Elizabeth, I'm super, super grateful that you're here. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I just love the topic, create your your topic of your podcast, Creative Solutions, uh, because isn't that what it's all about? Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And yeah, I think I think it is. I think coming up, thinking outside the box and coming up with ways to think laterally about things moving forward, especially, I think we're going to need that. So you and I think along parallel lines there. I think I told you that right before we started <laughs> recording the podcast. But you have such a storied story, if you will, your your story of just being a disruptor, you come in and you think so differently and you think so creatively. I'd love it if you would talk just a little bit about where that comes from for you and how you use that ability to really make such changes in the world. Wow, that's a that's a large question. I love the question. Um, I've always been really creative um, from a very young age. So, you know, like a very young age, but, you know, creativity comes in all different mediums and all different sizes. And so, you know, you might start off with designing the space of your bedroom at 10 years old type of thing, or oh, just yeah. a poster that that is shown at the library and winning contests that way. Uh, and then I went off to art school and was able to um, find myself and express myself in many different mediums. Uh, focusing in the communications design area, advertising, uh, graphics package, all, all sorts of communication. So I so I had a really nice basis. I came from a family. My mother was an artist and really promoted um, us being our ourselves and and, mm. and really focusing on what we did 
best. Um, and so we, we could always be our authentic selves. So if we were creative, go and be creative, find your passions. Uh, and when we think about it, you know, cause I am, you know, <laughs> at a different stage in my life, um, that was, she was really ahead of her time and, and really bold in that because mm -hmm. I was different in my family. I wasn't as academically inclined. I was more creatively inclined. So fast forward, what does that mean? So I go off to art school. I get into advertising straight after graduating. And I have spent um, over 35 years in advertising. Uh, and I would say the last 10 years of my career is when the disruption happened. And mm. so it's always, you know, really good. I, I was on the art design. I did a lot of copywriting as well. I was always very good at my job and good at leading and selling things into clients. It's very different when you're doing client work and mm. you're solving their problems and how you have to show up for them, understanding the brand, what brand are you creating, you know, where and when um, you can really disrupt for them. And I had a couple of situations, you know, and this I'll speak about in a second, where I had clients who were willing to disrupt and really be um, incredibly progressive, if you will. Um, but it was really, I would say, the journey of my true disruption from a change-making perspective began in, I think, around 2011. Um, I had a couple of scenarios. I was a partner at a um, health and wellness agency. Um, I had left a multinational agency, went to start this consumer digital and CRM agency called the Cement Bond. And, you know, when you're a partner and you're running the creative your job isn't to just to solve client problems. Your job is to think, think big, think differently, and really role model the type of, of work you want to see in, in, in your team mm. and what you want to see in the industry. So I really took that to heart. I also happened to have um, the owners of the company. That was one of the one of the um, KPIs for me was we want to be known as innovators. We, we aren't known as that. So how can you do that? So I had a very nice blank canvas that they gave me um, that I took very, <laughs> very, very openly. I was very <laughs> a canvas and, and create, um, you know, industry first experiences. But it was because of that, because they said we, we need to be known as innovators. How do we do that? They gave me that challenge. And, you know, and it started, well, actually, it started with one client who said, you know, who didn't tell us that they were actually <laughs> going to be selling uh, their company. They were being acquired, but they wanted to make a difference during Breast Cancer Awareness Week. So I was able to create this first and sell this in. It was insane, but it all makes sense now because they were in the process of being acquired. They could be really bold. And so they said, you know, we want to do something massive during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I came up with an industry first um, social platform that had never been done before called mm. Share the Little Things. And I think that that's when they, they, they and the team, our, our team did a beautiful job naming it, creating it, but selling the concept of creating a social platform to a pharma company around breast cancer was kind of crazy. So, um, so you know, I, I, I dipped my toes in that and got really excited. And then the next year we were able to take it, uh, they were acquired. We ended up creating Pledge to Fight Forward and had this heat map. So we continued the social innovation um, with the pharma clients, even the clients who acquired them, which was amazing. But then the challenge was how do we continue to innovate 
you know, as a company. And so it began with creating a day in the life of, uh, a, 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 of a person traveling to Japan. And we were able to showcase and create an experiential event for our client Novartis, um, which showcased all their vaccines. But the work we had done, um, we invited people into our space and created this you know, basically an education. We we brought in Japanese food um, and we took them through a curated um, experience that was like uh, that of going to a museum and understanding how you might travel to Japan and what you need to do to be safe and, and, and well. And it was just an amazing experience. We got picked up. Uh, and that was, again, another foray into doing something different on behalf of our company in partnership with our client. And then I kept up this Internet Week New York uh, became a nice sort of channel, if you will, to innovate. So I put this pressure on myself every year to do something different. And it was at that point, um, you know, I think it was in 2013, probably at the end of 2012, I would go um, I would go home and I would think about what I want to do the following year during during winter break, if you will, Christmas break. And I put together a business plan and try and sell it into the, the partners, the owners of the company. And I had this idea that, you know, there was a real issue with our gross national ha happiness quotient. Hmm. It had happy fuel, um, this idea of this social, um, a microblogging social network. And now this was before Facebook became and took over everything, but it was a, a period when microblogging uh, social networks were, were becoming a real thing, hmm. of course, in sustain. Um, but Happy Fuel became this. We we launched it for um, Internet Week New York. We brought it to Cannes. We did all kinds of things in terms of um, events. So we had intern, you know, uh, happiness intern events in New York where we we brought people into a space and created a happiness, introducing them to the app, trying to get them to share. We created a happy hair event. Um, so we did all these events, but bringing through creating this like happiness social network. So we were a little ahead of our time. Uh, it was hard to get the adoption we wanted, but the creation of it was just unbelievable. So I founded it. The team uh, worked, the team at, at the Cement Block worked with me to bring it together and really create this. It was a beautiful app. We we came in um, as honoree to Pinterest for the best social media um, app. Uh, so it was pretty exciting at the Webbies. And we won a ton of awards for it. We're really recognized. And that's when I won the OMA All-Star Award was for the for, for founding um, Happy Fuel. So it was pretty exciting. That's amazing. Wow. I, you know, I, you took you took a couple of minutes and you just gave me this incredible wealth of of wisdom and knowledge about the notion of the fact that you and I think all of us can make huge changes happen by looking at things differently. And I, I want to I want to focus on something you said with this app. You focused on something stepping back just a second. You focused on happiness. And I find that amazing because most of the time you hear people focusing on tech, on productivity, on achieving goals. And you went, you know what? I think what's really more important is happiness. What lets you see that? Because I agree with you, but what lets you see that to go, you know what, this is what I think we need to focus on in order to really make this big difference that we want to make? So so, so I think there's there's a couple of things and, and I have other things that I want to share as well. But I think as it relates to this question, I focused on happiness for two reasons. One is as a leader of the company, I was responsible 
for making sure my people were happy and not just my team, the whole agency. Mm. Reason is, is when your team is happy, they are inspired. When you're creating a creative product, you need to be inspired. You need to have that space. You need to feel good. That's when your best thinking happens. So I knew that if, and I was always, I was kind of, I used to joke, call myself the chief happiness officer at, mm-hmm. at, um, because I have that high energy and people mm-hmm. need it. They need it. They want it. They crave it. At the same time, if I were to be really open, I wasn't personally very happy. Um, mm-hmm. I challenges, um, you know, and I knew like I was creating something that was meaningful to me. Um, my sister-in-law was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So my younger brother, you know, it, it was just a lot going on in the family. My father was sick again. And of course, you know, various things at home that you're dealing with. And I recognize that happiness is such an essential thing that we that we often don't even understand. And that was back in 2013. So 10 years later, you know, you look at Calm, you look at Headspace, you look at all these happiness apps that exist today. Um, it's a shame because, you know, I don't know if it was, the branding was phenomenal. As I said, we won a ton of awards for it. Um, I don't know what we would have done differently. Um, we had, you know, from an app perspective to get the, to get the um, you know, your daily users, your monthly users to get that up. So you get the VC, but it was, it was a beautifully designed app and, experience. And I think, you know, back to your question is I think I look within and I look, I look at human frailty. I look at unmet needs. And so sometimes it starts with you as the person who comes up with the idea. Sometimes it's what you're surrounded by in your environment, whether it's your family, your friends, your workplace. And in the case of this particular idea, it was related to all of the above. It was sort of everything. And interestingly, today we could probably use it even more, which is, you know, it just sad to say that the world hasn't gotten better. Um, but yeah, so so that's really um, sort of how I think about these um, these moments. Like, what are those unmet needs um, to your question? And you know, to my comment that. You know, at that time, my brother's wife was diagnosed. That was my next initiative was um, was caregivers speak up. And the point of that was every day and I had a long commute. um, I would call my brother before he started work. He would have this time away and his wife was dying. He was the caregiver. And I would literally cry on my way into work. And I just kept thinking about, you know, nobody who, you know, the caregivers taking care of the ill one, the person who has the needs, but who's taking care of the caregiver. So that Such was, the question. next, you know, you know and, and I wrote, I wrote about it quite a bit actually. Um, but I got kind of consumed with that and consumed with my responsibility as being the caregiver to the caregiver. And so I went and created the Caregivers Speak Up. And when I say I created it, I, I founded it. I had a team of brilliant people from, from the block who, um, who worked with me to build it. Um, but at the heart of that was a series of documentaries um, that we launched in Cannes at the Lions Health Festival. And at, the way we looked at it was um, there were a series of five documentaries from diagnoses to end of life to, mm. to after one has died, what is the caregiver's experience, the grieving experience? So, um, and then we covered multiple diseases with that. So you had the 
newly diagnosed, you know, someone who's living for 30 years with autoimmune um, disease, the, the husband caring, a wife who's dealing with a husband of 45 years of Parkinson's. Like, so we covered the gamut, a daughter who's living, who has a father and mother living uh, with her with Alzheimer's. So really looking at different stages of the caregiver experience and really honoring that. And that ended up it was interesting because it was a social platform. You could go on, you could fill in, share your story, upload a video. We found that it really um, resonated on Facebook and ended up creating a really powerful community there. But the documentaries were like really um, just beyond heartfelt. It was like, you have to give their uh, caregivers are unsung heroes. Mm. They need the space, they need to be honored and celebrated. Um, so much for all of all that they do that goes so unrecognized. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's so I'm so grateful that you're doing this because I know people who spend who dedicate their lives to caring for their loved ones who are unwell. And that question that you asked, who who cares for the caregiver is so important because there is this notion that, oh, they're just going to do it. No, they're they're turning themselves inside out sometimes to do that. And most often, and I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to say, I imagine most often those caregivers are women. Has that been your experience as far as who does the caregiving? I would say in, in, in the case of what we documented, um, it, it was not. But of course, we only did so many documentaries. In the case of statistics, yes, it is primarily women who are the caregivers, primarily. I don't know if the stat's at 60%. I don't want to give you the wrong stat, mm. but it but it's yes, it, it, they're mostly women. And interestingly, um, in my career, I moved on. I did another series of documentary series for for Comcast and NBC Universal called A Day in the Home of the Caregiver. And because of the size and scale of their company, it's a self-insured company. They look at caregivers differently. So you have the caregiver like the mother of a child who's caregiving for a child who could be sick on a given day. And that might, that might affect their ability to come to work, but they also, while they might have a young child or even an older child, they might also have an ailing parent who they're caregiving for. So they really, um, we really took a different look at that um, from, from, from the perspective of, you know, Comcast being in the home. So I was able to, again, to bring that caregiving experience to bear and really witness uh, all of the amazing efforts uh, that these heroic efforts that these caregivers do on a daily basis and that go unrecognized. Wow. And each one of them has their individual story and you're bringing light to them. Uh, the, uh, amazing. I feel like I feel like I'm your, you know, I'm saying I'm going to be saying amazing and incredible all the time because the work you're doing is so important and so wonderful. And And that brings me to the stories of Under the Sisterhood. I, I'm, I've been doing my research and I'm like, this is amazing. Wow, that you've done this. I would love it if you would talk a little bit about what prompted you to start wanting to tell and telling women's stories the way you're doing, what inspired Under the Sisterhood? Wow, um, wow. So I know I should have this and it should be an elevator pitch, but it's not kind of an elevator pitch. It's, it's much more complicated than that. Um, I think that I was going through, I had a, a lot of change in my life. I was at a very um, big transition point in my life. And I think just recognizing um, that women 
are often like just, they just are, I, I, and this isn't even perfectly articulated. Women can be like wallpaper. They're so unrecognized for all of their, their many um, contributions on a daily, um, uh, from a daily perspective on, mm -hmm. a, on an annually um, in life in general. And so I had this idea of under the sisterhood came by, by, about five years ago in a different context. It wasn't coming in the same storytelling fashion. And then four years, I, I sort of parked it and let it sort of bubble up. And then four years later, as I was going through my journey of self-discovery and my my acknowledging of sister, the, the, the need for sisterhood for me, um, I recognized that, that I wasn't alone in that. And I think that that's an interesting thing because often when we're going through the things we're going through, we feel so alone in that and that other people aren't experiencing the same thing. And so I think that bearing on all of my past work that I've done is recognizing that there is this unmet need. It's not just in me, it's in many women, it's in women around the world. And so I had this idea that I wanted to create a space for women to be seen, heard and celebrated and really acknowledged, acknowledged for everything they do every day. And, and you know, and so we launched um, we launched under the sisterhood as a company on August 26 last year. So we're a little over six months old. And the point of doing it on that day was because August 26 is Women's Equality Day. It's a, it's the day um, that that women were allowed to vote. And so I mm -hmm. thought that it's really important to attach what we're doing, giving women the right to, to vote and giving women voice, giving women that safe space to be heard um, was really important to me. So we launched and we dropped 12 podcasts um, on that date. And the reason for 12 versus one was I wanted to celebrate uh, a spectrum of women. And when I say spectrum, ages 18 to 85, we did so. So we did 39 podcasts from August uh, 26 to um, to the beginning of March, which is Women's History Month. And um, I wanted to make sure that those first 12 women represented ages, all cultures and all backgrounds. And when I say backgrounds, I mean LGBTQ, trans. I wanted to ensure that we were speaking to all women out there. It was very, very important to me that this was going to be an inclusive sisterhood, a company that was age inclusive, that was um, culture inclusive and background inclusive. Um, and because I think that that as much as we like to think that we've advanced so much, I don't think, I think there are still the mean, the cliques, the mean girls, the different groups. And I really wanted to say, hey, no, we're all sisters. We're all women. And we all have these universal truths and commonalities. And of course, we have our unique experiences. And I want to make sure that all of you are seen and heard, despite, uh, regardless of where you come from, your story matters. You matter. And just by, you know, and it's interesting, um, so the first and the reason why I'm being very specific with this is the first season was all about getting under the hood of what it means to be a woman in today's world. We asked eight questions. We gave a great platform for women. And we had women, as I said, ages 18 to 85 for the first 39, representing 25 different countries, multiple um, backgrounds. Um, so um, and, and and I think that everyone felt during the conversation that they could not only share their perspectives and tell their stories, their female experiences that were unique to them, but they felt part of something. 
And so these intimate conversations, even they were, even though they were going out in a mass way, when you put a podcast out there, having them one-on-one like I am with you, Isolde, um, it's just massive. It's just such a, it's a cathartic experience. And I think that I wanted to give women not just the space, and I keep using the line because it's sort of our, our, our tagline on our website, space for women to be seen, heard, and celebrated. But I wanted them to experience the catharsis that comes with having a voice and letting your voice be heard. Because often we don't think about these things. Women are so busy doing that they're not being. And when you sit in and think about everything you're doing on a given day, you think about what your role is in this world as a woman, how you show up in the context of the larger world, what is fair, what it, what are the inequities, what would you do differently? Um, I thought it was a, a really interesting, um, an interesting uh, conversation to have. And so when, when uh, Women's History Month of course, we knew Women's History Month was coming. I said, season two has to be, we have to drop a podcast a day because it's essential that 31 days, we need to have 31 different women. And uh, and one of my colleagues called it the Women's March of Voices. I think it's brilliant. That's awesome. Uh, it's not just about the March, which is our month, Women's Month to be celebrated and seen and heard, but it's also the March the women's march, which is really important, but in this case, it's the march of voices. And in this case, we have women ages 20 to 79, we didn't get to 85, um, from another 24 countries. So in combined, we have, we've with this with the 70 podcasts we that we've done, we have, I'm just thinking, 35 diff- representing 35 different countries from India, Egypt, Pakistan, Afghani, like uh, um, many different countries within Africa, from Guyana, um, from um, Nigeria, to Guatemala, to Mexico, to um, to Brazil, to Argentina and Italy, to UK, of course, America, Canada, so uh, and the Philippines. I feel like I'm China. I'm leaving someone out, Korea. So it's really important to me that because women identify with each other, but they also identify with women from their own cultures. So we wanted to make sure that we really um, represented that. And yeah, and so, so, um, I just felt women needed a voice. I wanted to be the one to give it to them. I'm like, I am going to start this company. I am going to bootstrap it and fund it because um, I want to do something good. I want to give back. And I want this next chapter of my life to be of being of service. And so um, I'm of service to the aging population with the job I have with, with, with Cherish, which is an amazing company serving the aging population and those living with health challenges and then with under the sisterhood. And I I couldn't be more excited and proud, um, but more importantly, um, I couldn't feel better. Like, like I leave every conversation with my cup overflowing. You're going to hear me take pauses. I I believe in embracing the pause. (laughs) It's not that I'm, it's not dead air. I call it anticipatory air. I just feel like I need a second to synthesize everything you've just said because, wow. Okay. So I love that you said that this is, your cup feels like it's overflowing. There's something here to me in, in what you said that women have an opportunity here, right? We, you said that we relate to one another, but we relate to people from our own cultures and our own backgrounds too. 
Can you talk a little bit about what lessons you've learned as you speak to women who are from very different cultures? What what has been the the sort of takeaway for you, for Elizabeth, in the things that you've heard from people, from women who are both very similar to you and also very, very different? Well, I think the the first, and I have goosebumps just talking about this because the experience is is just so joyful and magnificent. I am connecting with strangers from around the world. Not all of them are strangers, um, but a number of them are strangers. And so some some of them were getting on the phone for, for the interview. So we don't even have the prep call, which means they don't even get a sense of me or feel for me um, or me them. And then we get into the conversation and the connections instantaneous. And it's not a connection just of, oh my goodness, I'm putting out uh, my story of what I do, like my job. It's like, no, it's a connection of woman to woman. And so what I will say is it doesn't matter if it's Beatrice B. Arthur from West, uh, she's from Ghana, West Africa. It doesn't matter if it's her who's, who's calling in, if it's if it's Sola Davies who's in Nigeria and lives in Atlanta. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's Mohira Iqbar who's 18 years old from Pakistan. I think that we're connecting on a woman level, not just on a human level, but on a woman level about women's issues, about what it's like, the, the challenges we faced. And I think that giving them this space and really, um, I've worked really hard on this. I, I wasn't always necessarily known as this, but really trying to be a generous listener. Um, you know, as the podcast host, you know, your job is to extract and get more and more out of the story. So, but you have to listen to know how to ask the next question. So, um, because I don't know where the stories are going. I, I give them, you know, open-ended questions that they can answer any way they want. And so I think, you know, some of the learnings is, is that, that there aren't as many barriers as we think from a cultural perspective. There are certain things from a, if you want to do something in a country that might not have the same sort of, you know, first world privileges, meaning money. So I can talk about that a little bit in, in a little bit. But for instance, creating a sister circle in Pakistan where they don't have money, it needs to be funded by us or facilitated. Like when you go into these countries, um, but I think from my perspective, meeting the women, and I'll give you an example on International Women's Day, um, we hosted a sister circle for Jamaica, for, for the women in Red, of Red Cross from Jamaica and from Costa Rica. And, you know, they, they're like, we're going to be bringing our sister circles into their communities. And so we had this amazing event. And here, you know, here I am, a, 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 a white woman who they all connected with. It didn't matter where, who I was. I mean, what I was, it mattered who I was. <laughs> and what <laughs> I, I mean by that is they just liked me because I made them, I, I said, listen, this is about sisterhood. This isn't, and, and I want to just say something like there's a lot of women empowerment platforms out there. Um, I know at the heart of ours is giving voice this podcast, but there's many other things we're doing. Um, at the company. But I think that what we're about is, yes, we're about empowerment. Please don't get me wrong. Of course, we're about empowering women. But we want to build and strengthen women and their well-being through sisterhood. So we want to build sisterhood. So we know that if we help build women at the core and help build their esteem, help them understand and be self-aware through self-discovery, take do self-care, learn how to have a voice through self-expression, and then build sisterhood, 
you know, they will go out and they will, the, the world will be a better place. And what I mean by that is when women feel good about themselves, they're more likely to want to be and help the next woman. But when they're not feeling good about themselves, and it doesn't matter if it's in, if it's on a one-on-one -on -one situation, if it's in community, if it's in school, um, or if it's in on a job, when, when one is not feeling good about themselves, they're not going to do anything to help anybody else. And that's the thing. We need women to lift other women. So we're saying there's a process. We need to help you and guide you um, through a process that will help you really show up as your best self, find your superpowers, share your superpowers, and then bring that self-love out into the world and build that sisterhood. I'm taking a second. Wow. Okay. Uh yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's so grand. I love how grand it is, how you are just, you know what, this is what I envision and this is what I'm going to make happen. And holy moly, are you doing it? Which, you <laughs> I'm know. Because uh, my tagline at my old company, when as a partner, we were asked to give a tagline. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. It's because it's funny. Um, uh, when, when I came back and we had a part, when our company merged, there were 11 or you know, I don't know, 10 or 11 partners. And we were asked to come back with our personal tagline. So I come waltzing into the partner meeting. I make things happen. And so one of the partners says, do you really want to be about I, you make things happen? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have taken that that conversation to heart because I love making things happen. And I do listen. I mean, there's a risk reward to everything. I go out. I want to do this in a big way. And it's going to happen. And guess what? Certain things are going to happen organically. It's either going to grow like I wouldn't have expected to meet Mohira. Um, from Pakistan who reached out to me on Instagram saying, I want to be part of your team. So that because of that introduction, I interviewed her. I had another woman from Pakistan who I got to share her voice at 18 years old. And then she wanted to join the, the advisory team. Um, and so she brought sisterhood and we created our first sister circle in Pakistan. But my point in saying that is, I wouldn't have thought that would happen if I started with day one where we were going and sort of you have to be open to things happening organically. So you make this something happen. And I've never been more open in my entire life to seeing where things go. Amazing. And it's so interesting because it's there's a dynamic there that's sort of a yin yang, right? On the one hand, you make things happen. And on the other hand, you've opened to a way that is being in the flow. And so so there is this, and, and that's very, I'm gonna say it kind of strangely, but that's very womanly of you, you know? That's a very, that's a very woman-oriented thing. Like both being strong and able to be in the flow at the same time is is brilliant of you. I think that's that's a again very creative I this is the Creative Solutions podcast, so I'm yeah, always I'm always interested in in that kind of in that kind of ability to be able to kind of be in two places at once. Something you said though, was it sparked in me my favorite quote from my favorite book. And I would like to read it to you because I think it will be meaningful to you as it is meaningful to me. It's from Gibbons Decline and Fall by Sherry S. Tepper. And it's a quote, but here it is. And I think, again, it'll probably, you'll probably go, yes, exactly. 
Find your sun-warmed stone, she used to say to us. Find it high in the sun, dance there, build your house there, then reach down to pull others up. And it feels to me like, Elizabeth, this is, this is what you're exactly what you're doing and exactly what you're modeling for other women is yeah let's get you to the point where you feel strong where you feel good where you feel powerful and where you can then reach down and pull others up can you talk a little bit about your maybe thought process in how under the sisterhood is going to do that because i know you said that you've just launched sister good which is the not-for-profit arm of under the sisterhood can you talk a little bit about how that vision is going to take shape to to help other women come up into their own light so well, that's a great question so thank you for asking that i really really appreciate that so i think there's two parts to it one i'll talk about how under the sisterhood's going to do it. And then two, I'll talk about how sisterhood's going to, sistergood is going to do it. And so, you know, I had this vision, uh, really, um, I have been, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell the world, this is based on a personal journey of self-discovery. I left, um, I made a lot of change in my life in the, at the end of 2017, left a big job, left an industry that I loved. I had a great experience in, had a lot of success at. I was at the top, you know, um, left many things. <laughs> and through that change, I was, um, and I don't want to say I was forced. You can choose not to look within, mm. but I went through a period of self-discovery, self-care, <laughs> self-expression, getting my voice. What's my voice like today? It's I'm not the same person I was back in 2017. I, I meditate twice a day. I do mindfulness. <laughs> I journal. I'm about gratitude. And I really, I live my life by this. So I basically took this whole idea and self-experience and I created um, this, I created this idea for this methodology. And we are taking this methodology and, into companies, so organizations. Um, so any type of you know, it can be any size organization where we will bring women together, gather them. The organization will fund a 12 week um, sisterhood journey um, so we can take them through the self-discovery, the self-care, the the um, self-expression and then the sisterhood. And I have a wonderful head of programming, um, Amy um, Danielson, who has done a tremendous job creating these sister circles, um, the programming for it. Um, and in any case, uh, we've we've created this and it just happened organically. So my experience happened. I had this idea, let's bring this to workshops. We started to talk about that. And then we said, given today's climate, let's look at it in the context of what we're already doing in Pakistan. So we actually modeled it. Um, we started sister circles in Pakistan in at the end of October. Wow. And then brought in, in the, at the end of the year, we started the 12 week journey with them. And so Anyway, so the idea is from a vision for under the sisterhood is to take women through this 12 week uh, experience journey, if you will. And it, mm -hmm. it requires a lot of time and it's not a crazy investment from companies. Uh, this is really about, you know, a, a lot of companies have spent a lot of money on women's empowerment um, programs, which I think are fantastic. And so I am saying yes, yes, and more yes to that. The thing about the women's empowerment um, programs that exist today is they typically focus more on the individual. What we are saying is we want to focus on the individual, build their core strength, build them, help build esteem, help build all the things that are essential 
for a woman to show up as her best self in work and in life. We also know that today's workplace <laughs> is a hybrid at best. Uh, so it's important. Life is intertwined with work and vice versa. It's really important and essential that women have the opportunity and have that care. Um, and so when a company invests in that and the women go through this process, then they build this sisterhood within their organization. And this sisterhood is really showing up back to your quote. It's really women lifting other women. And I don't think, uh, unfortunately, I wish I could say unilaterally around the world or in our country, um, in the United States, that women lift other women. I think some do, but I wouldn't mm -hmm. say the majority does. And I think that our, our vision is to make sisterhood at the core of everything we do, even if you're just lifting one sister at a time, because you lifting that one sister means she's going to go lift the next sister. I mean, there is a there is that domino, that positive domino effect. So so that's sort of the vision is that we do it through sister circles. Um, we envision doing workshops. We want to we want to get into organizations, prove the methodology, prove the experience, um, and then we will bring it into more robust workshops. Uh, we're working with a phenomenal. She's on our advisory board, Tevis Trower, who um, who has an amazing company, and so we worked on curriculum with her. And then, as it relates to sister good, oh, oh, one more thing about under the sisterhood. We are going to continue the podcasts. We'll continue. So, so for instance, season three is going to focus on is going to focus on women celebrating women in health and wellness. So, mm. healthcare and wellness. So, this can be doctors. It can be women founders of tech companies. It can be women at mid levels at any of these type of things. It could be nurses. It could be doulas. It could be in the wellness where, where they're healers, where they're conscious leaders who deal with trauma. It could be social workers. It's anything in the health and wellness sphere. We're going to cover a woman a week uh, beginning mid-May through the end of the year, um, focusing on women and health and wellness. So, so we are going to continue that as well as we have a vlog platform that asks three questions and gives women an opportunity to showcase their story. It is not a conversation that is just, you know, a quick five to 10 minute, um, you know, video of them telling their story in their, in their way and really celebrating their superpowers and how they use those superpowers for, to, to help other women. Um, but as it, as, as it pertains to sister good, we created this arm based on the experience with Pakistan. And we recognize that there's so, so many unmet needs in developing countries. Um, and it was really surprising. So when, when the woman I referenced, Mohira, 18 years old in Pakistan, um, reached out and we started having the conversation um, within one week, she stood up. A, we stood up a sister circle. We facilitate it from New York. Our head of programming, Amy Danielson, is also the executive director of Sister Good. Amy um, comes out of she's an NGO entrepreneur. She comes from a dance background with all kinds of um, compassion, the different types of modalities that she weaves into it. Um, but she's done a beautiful job with creating the curriculum or the sister circles, um, the experience of each session. And so the, the women in Pakistan, so what happened was we did that and we were like, this is really needed. They, they um, first of all, the young women were 16 to, to 20. Um, they were so open and so candid and vulnerable in this space. And we're like, wow, we need to do more of this. We need to do this in countries around the world. And I wouldn't have known it at the time because I was thinking about under the sisterhood as a for-profit company, but we need to do something where, you know, where 
donations come in and can support the ability to stand up more of these sister circles around the world. So right now I have stood up everything. I have funded everything. I've gone into, you know, my savings. I've done everything because I want to give back. I want to be of service to women. I want to show women. I want to role model what I want to see more of. So hopefully, mm. um, hopefully women will show up and do that and, and we will stand up more sister circles. And so interestingly, Isolda, before I before I give you another pause, <laughs> um, I um, had uh, one of my on the board of advisors, um, Anne-Marie Core, uh, Anne-Marie Zoe Core from the Core Foundation. She was a client of mine. We met in 2011 I, and I helped you know, with my team, rebrand her company to Girls Right of Way, sort of a program. All of her initiatives are, are Girls Right of Way. In any case, we maintained a friendship over the past 12 years, and she's on my advisory board. And Anne-Marie introduced me to Loy Hugh. And Loy Hugh retired two years ago from the Red Cross of Jamaica. Um, I am going to be very specific because what's really interesting about her background is she created the educational programming Together we can to help educate children and women, young women on HIV prevention. Mm. And it, it launched in Jamaica and then it went out worldwide. She was part of the, the contributors to that whole program, if, if not written the whole thing. And so the thing about Loy is she now um, she's living um, stateside, just moved here, I think about a year ago um, or maybe months ago. Um, but I was introduced to Loy. She was the first podcast we dropped. She is an icon. She was a feminist in Jamaica in the 60s. Wow. 70. But the reason, so so Loy has joined us as a community liaison and has connected us with the Red Cross. And so we are standing up. As I said, I mentioned earlier, we on International Women's Day, we had uh, an event with the Jamaican and the Costa Rican Red Cross. Uh, one one hour session, uh, a sister circle, and we will be standing up a um, 12 week sisterhood journey in each country beginning within the next couple of weeks. We're just going over some details. But interestingly, it's because of her relationships with the Red Cross that now they will partner with us to bring this wellness programming to women in countries around the world. And so if someone donates money to build a sister circle, the Red Cross will be our basically our channel. So if we want to go to Nigeria, we'll go through the Red Cross and see where they are in Nigeria. Can they get 25 women? How can we do that? And and the thing I'm learning, by the way, one thing I'm learning is, is it's not as fast. Like Mohira stood it up in a week. She's one individual, young woman. Uh, it's very different when you go through a um you know, an organization like the Red Cross. But what I will say is these women were incredible. The experience was so soul touching on International Women's Day just a couple of days ago. And we're all so excited to get that going. Wow. Okay. So what's fascinating to me about all of this is it's I'm I'm listening to you talk about already how much how much how much empowerment I, and it, it feels like a small world actually uh if it, it it feels yeah i'm a little bit i'm a little bit kerfuffled right now because <laughs> because women you know hearing you say that women are they're stepping up for themselves and for each other in this really vital way in the especially in the developing world is amazing to me 
and and I love I love hearing it and I love that you're doing it and 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 I have to say this you know women's history month yes absolutely and and this this episode is airing on women's history month but I I, th- I think you feel the same way I'm just going to say that I, you think that I think you feel the same way that women need to be celebrated each day every day all day so so you're yep. and you're doing it you know you're you're developing this and i guess what i would like to to ask you before we because i could keep you here for the next six hours chatting but i know you have a day to get back to uh tell me what your ultimate vision what would success with under the sisterhood look like for you long term Wow. <laughs> I'm working on that now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to start with a small answer is we're, we've created a survey that will be going out to all the sisters that we are the women that we go in and then create this journey. But um, the vision would be that we are creating this programming, this wellness um programming and sisterhood programming for women around the world and that it that it will start like over time so we imagine going in on from a i'm just thinking u.s perspective but of course we could go into any any company in any country that wants to create this wellness programming so that we could go in and support women in the around the world in corporations we could celebrate women in schools and it could start Right now, the early vision is to go into universities. We're having those conversations, which I'm excited, very excited about. But ultimately, I mean, we should probably be talking to women in the tween age years when they're starting to feel all these different things and giving them, um, you know, educational tips, tools and strategies for going through going through life. And so whether we're creating these sister circles um, there's a piece of technology that brings this and makes everything more accessible so you can connect women from around the world, you know, throughout the day. So at one point I have a, have one slide that shows the the world clock dashboard, but it's a dashboard of sister circles going on in in Paris, China, Egypt, you know, um, Korea, US, Canada, Africa. So, so that wherever you are, you could connect, we'd be connecting women and building sisterhood. So my ultimate vision is to, to help make women in general, individually feel really, really good to lean into their superpowers, to know their strength, to know who they are as women, and to feel really good about that. And then taking that, that knowledge, that self-knowledge and making women go out and, and breed the next group of women with that, which ultimately, as I said, builds sisterhood. When you're feeling good about yourself, uh, you're more likely to support and build sisterhood in others. And so I think the end goal is to just build a global sisterhood where women feel connected. And that if our, like 10 years down the line, if our company could represent, I'm you know in another part of the world, and there's under the sisterhood and there's these chapters, I don't know exactly what it looks like if I were to be completely honest. But I know it's big. And I know that I know that while, you know, touching one person's life at a time is so meaningful to me, I think the ripple effect of all of this will be exponential. And so I think that it's just about getting it started and scaling it up. And what does a sisterhood look like? And then over time, you know, because right now we are focused, we are a woman, a woman's company under the sisterhood, but maybe we create an umbrella company called Under the Hood. And we create under the brotherhood, under the allyhood. We look at ways to bring in all different types of people 
who I don't want to say feel marginalized because not everybody feels marginalized, but really acknowledges that everyone needs to go through this journey to feel whole and want to help others. It's just a wellness journey. And so, you know, so over time, and I don't know, that could be two years away. It could be five years away. Um, it would be great because I know that companies are going to want to know that it's not just for women, that it is, this might be where we're starting from, but I don't want to lose the fact that there's an unmet need that women need to be recognized. You said it is older every day, every hour of the day, you know, and, and, you know, we are making history in small and large things. And I think, you know, one of the things I felt was here I was doing these amazing things and, you know, on the job. And then I'd go home and I was like a mother of three working full time and crazy. And I didn't feel like any of what I was doing was really recognized. So I think it's really important. And I feel compelled to 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 bring this and do this for women um, who just go about life doing so much good on in so many different ways without even thinking twice about it. And it goes unrecognized. So my vision is to make sure that all women feel seen, heard and celebrated and that they are building sisterhood because they understand the value of that. What creating that means, not just within their own little community, but what does that mean within the world? The world becomes a better place. When women are celebrating women, are you kidding me? We can do anything. When women unite, we can do anything. And so it's a, I know it's a lot of different visions, not an elevator pitch. Sorry about that world. No, no, no. I The elevator pitch is great, but what I really wanted to hear was the answers you gave. Uh, what what I'm wondering in, in this, before we, before we end, because you sparked something in me. So you're, you're talking about bringing health and wellness to women all over the world, but what happens, how do you creatively navigate when some of that potential wellness process is in a country where that stuff is just not available to women or where it might even be illegal for women. How do you navigate that? That's a great question. I, I, I think that's really tricky. And it's very interesting you mentioned that because I just um, watched the Zarifa Ghaffari. I read her book I watched her her Netflix. Um, I forget what the title of it is, but she's amazing. She was the mayor in Afghan at 26 years old. It's done so much to help bring education um, to the to the women in Afghan before the Taliban took over. That was when the U.S. was in Afghan, and so there were there were there were less restrictions. And now mm -hmm. she's a ref in in Germany, and I think she's a good example of like that's a country that I'm going to have a harder time penetrating because you don't have access. They don't, women don't have rights there. And so I think that my goal would be to go through Zarifa and see what you can do in the refugee environments. What can mm -hmm. we do to help build in the refugee environments where women are getting more rights, have more opportunity to have a voice? I think I would probably start there. I haven't, I, I think that's the, the greatest question. I think, you know, when I had the conversation with with having these sister circles in Pakistan, am I putting you at risk? Am I putting you at risk to do a podcast with you? Right. And as long as you as long as you don't talk about religion, there's not an issue. So I was really afraid of that. I had days where I didn't sleep because I was worried. Am I putting this young woman at risk? So sure. 
I think this is where we're going to have to evaluate it from country to country, you know, where the opportunity is, where we can make a difference, where our partners, the Red Cross might be like, where is it that? And then another thing is a donor comes in and says, I'll give you $10,000. I want you to stand up five, you know, X amount of sister circles in these three countries. How do you find a way? Well, guess what? Where there's a well, there's a way you find a way. And so one of the things that's really been I, I mean, and, and again, it's happened organically, but very interesting is I'm meeting all these different from women from around the world. And it's like, we leave the conversations. How can I help you? And they're like, how can I help you? And it just happens sort of magically. And that's what happened with Loy with um, standing up uh, Jamaica and Costa Rica. And then of course, Haiti is on the list. But the thing is, is that I think that we're going to have to look there and start where you do have access and build that and then hope over time you go knocking on those uncomfortable doors mm -hmm. and trying to affect change there. But one of the things I've learned, if I take a step back as Olga, like, and I just think about behavior change, you're not going to get fence sitters to go on the journey with you. You know, you have to get people who are motivated. And in this context, women who are motivated um, to do the work. So you're not going to get someone who's on the fence, which means if we relate that to a country, if a country doesn't have women, if women don't have rights in the country, it's less likely that we're going to be able to, to be successful with them penetrating and get women to join because they they, they have so many basic rights aren't um, satisfied that, you know, we're not going to be able to make a difference for a while. And interestingly, I actually have one example to cite, which was I interviewed Jinha De La Chesne. She's the founder of the Nation Project. She goes into the slums in Kataway, uh, Uganda, and works with women and children. Um, on um, she does all the mindfulness and all sort of trauma healing. And I'm probably describing it not as accurately as I could. But what's really interesting about Jinha's story, I said, I would love to bring sister circles. She says, they don't even have food. They can't read. They can't write. Like, they don't even have food. You'd have to be there to stand up something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, 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 so that might take a little while. That might be a couple of years. She says, but, you know, I also do work in Nepal and they're more sophisticated. So I think that. You know, if, if if our vision is to have these sister circles and sisterhood be built around the world. And by the way, what I did forget to mention was not just virtually, but also on the ground. If it's if you start building these sisterhoods under the sisterhoods or sisterhood throughout the world um, and they're able to get together in person and build these relationships, these networks, these these places, these safe spaces where women can learn um, to build their 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 wellness, their their, their health together. Um we will do really well. I think I kind of digressed a bit, but um, I think I did answer that question. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I think it's a great answer. No, no, no. I, I really, I, I, that to me, the work you're doing is crucial, I obviously, and vital. And it's going to take some almost diplomacy to be able to make inroads in some of these places that where women don't have as many rights as in the developed world. So it's really fascinating to me. And I'm going to be really interested to see how you do it, because that is it, it's that's one of the places it's really crucial is a place where women don't have all these rights. They probably feel very isolated and very marginalized. And I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but there is there is something to be done there. And it sounds like under the sisterhood may have some really key lessons for all of us to to get some of those changes to be made. So good for you. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. 
Mm, thank you. No, I'm, I, it's it. Yeah, no, it's it's. I, I, I some days I'm like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> Pretty much every day, I, I I I wake up really inspired. As I said, I'm working to serve the aging population and doing amazing work and touching lives on a human level in that way, but really being of service to women, you know, and you know what is older. I have two daughters and being a woman from, and I have a son as well. My two daughters, like showing them, you know, that giving back is essential, that doing this good work, this important work, we're, we're so fortunate. Like, what can we do to help the next sister? It's just a right. simple thought. What can I do? You know? Yeah. My, my, the question that I ask myself a lot, and I talk about this with my own clients and my audience a lot, is what is one small thing I can do right now to make things better? That's that's one 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 tiny thing to make progress. Doesn't have to be big as long as it's something. So I again, Elizabeth, I am thrilled that you took the time before we sign off for this episode and then move on to the bonus episode. I would love it if you would because people learn differently. I know all of the links are going to be in the show notes, but I would love it if you would give, how does someone find you? How does someone find Elizabeth Elfenbein and how does somebody find Under the Sisterhood? Okay, to find me, Elizabeth Elfenbein, I'm on LinkedIn. And so you'll see my 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 name in the show notes. Um, and in terms of Under the Sisterhood, it's underthesisterhood.com. And it's as it's spelled, underthesisterhood.com under the sisterhood podcast.com and it's on all the directories so once you if you're a spotify you're an amazon you're a, an apple you're an iHeartRadio, you just type in under the sisterhood we have a podcast platform you can also by the way if you're if you're going and learning about under the sisterhood the podcasts are you know you'll you'll click on podcasts you'll you'll be able to see everybody's story and then there's a link within there that will take you to our podcast site um, as well as we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um, YouTube. And Sister Good will only be on Instagram. It's a lot to keep up. And Sister Good's website is sistergood.org. And our um, Instagram handle is join Sister Good. That's join Sister Good. So our under the sisterhood handle is under the sisterhood. Um, but Sister Good is join Sister Good. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I have one last question for you. It's a question I ask everybody who comes on the show. And it's a silly little question, but I find that it can yield some profound answers. And the question is this. If you had an airplane, environmentally friendly, of course, that could skywrite anything for the whole world to see, what would you say? Ooh. Oh, dear. Wow. Um, wow. I need to take a pause here. <laughs> and <laughs> pause for idea. anticipatory air. <laughs> yeah, I'm pausing for anticipatory. Yeah, wow. Hmm. There's so much to say. So mm. I'm thinking if, you know, um, Wow. Hmm. Sorry, I don't have it. I'm usually very quick. This is not. <laughs> That's quite all right. Messages. <laughs> I write taglines for a living. Um, <laughs> um, you know what? I think, I think, um, be your best self, be your best self. And I don't think it's just a woman thing. I think it's a man thing. It's an everybody thing. 
be your best self. And, and I'll tell you something, Isolde, that's a great question. Every day, regardless of the things that come my way, I endeavor to show up as my best self every day. And for the most part, I do. I mean, and I, I'm going to say, of course, all my self-care doesn't, it helps me quite a bit to, to maintain all the things that you need to maintain, but being your best self. And sometimes your best self is a small thing. And sometimes it's a, it's, it's huge. Um, but when you show up as your best self, um, wonderful things happen. There you go. And maybe that's the, the other part. That's the, the airplane flying with one of those big long flyers. You know, when you show up as your best self, wonderful things happen. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I know we're going to come back in a sec to do the little bonus round, but I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Oh, Isolde, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this platform. It's really, um, I haven't, I've done a couple of podcasts, but this has been a really joyful conversation for me. Uh, and just to, to have myself think on the spot about these things, because as you know, the elevator pitch does feels a little less authentic to me. So thank you for challenging me and for really giving me the space to share what we're doing. Thank you. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I ridiculously honored to, to have you on the show. Uh, as you can tell, this has been Elizabeth Elfenbein and Under the Sisterhood is doing amazing work. If you are listening to this, go check out Under the Sisterhood and Sistergood. See how you can get involved in lifting up women and women's voices. I, my voice is Isolde Trachtenberg, and this is the Creative Solutions Podcast. Super grateful that you joined in. And as always, I remind you to be bold, be creative, and most of all, be kind. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're new, and it would mean the world to me if you told a friend about it. Today's episode was produced by Isolde Trachtenberg and is copyright 2023. As always, please remember this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Past performance does not guarantee future results, although we can always hope. Until next time, keep living what you believe in. Thank you.